Hello, let's get started. Hello, Amy. Um, so we've got Amy here. Um, Alice is saying hi. Hi, Siobhan. Good to see you all. Um, so for those that um, don't know don't, don't know us, my name's Neil, and this is... I'm Ewan. Ewan. How are you doing, everybody? We are our, the co-directors of Health Academy, and you should be on the Health Academy page today. Um, I'm just going to quickly, briefly run through who we are and what we do. So um, um, both you and I worked together for, have worked together for quite a few years in different capacities, um, um, mainly in travel health and immunizations. Um, and we set up this company, um, Health Academy, um, which we incorporated fairly recently, um, alongside our partner as well, our business manager, Ruth, who isn't online with us today. Um, hopefully she is watching, um, but um, she is a really important part of our team. And we are working together with loads of other collaborators and professionals in the field of training. So um, um, we thought we would give this Facebook Live a go. So please give us a little bit of um, leeway. This is our first go on this. Sorry, Ewan. I'm saying we're not professionals at this. So, uh, we're not at the moment. But really, we've never done this before. No. So we thought we'd uh, give it a try. Um, if it goes terrible, we'll never do it again. Um, if it goes well, um, maybe we will carry on. Yeah, so that's us. We thought we would we would have a bit of a chat about a few different areas today. As we sort of alluded to in our Facebook posts, um, both you and I were both registered nurses and we both recently, with, with everything going on, um, decided that completely independently of each other actually decided that we were going to put ourselves apply to go onto the bank so that we could do some more frontline work with the NHS. Um, so we thought we'd we'd have a bit of a chat about that today, and then the impact on immunisations, the impact on training, um, and just have a general chat. We would love it for it to be quite um, interactive today. So if you've got comments. So we will put your comments up here if you've got or questions. So hi, Claire, or you've got just general chit chat you want to add in um, or opinions, please put it up there and we will add in your comments. Let's and of course, that. if anyone wants to actually come on board and uh, have uh, a seat here and uh, have anything to say, uh, particularly any interesting and relevant uh, stories, anecdotes, etc., opinions, please uh, let us know and Neil will uh, do some kind of magic stuff in the background and make you appear on the screen. Give that a go. Excellent. So Ewan, you, you um, recently, similar to myself, have put yourself forward to be on the bank um, in the emergency department. Um, so how is that for you? Yeah, it's uh, in many ways I feel like a little bit of a fraud because um, I, I've ended up because I'm lucky enough to to live in the Highlands where um, the virus has taken longer to reach than other parts of the UK, perhaps, then um, actually the numbers are, touch wood, quite low at the moment. And uh, probably lockdown is going to hopefully keep it that way for some time. And because of that, 
I'd actually been on this long process to join. I don't know if any of you have ever joined at nurse banks or agencies. Sometimes it can take quite a while. I'd been on this long, many months process to join the nurse bank anyway to do some immunization project work. And it all kind of just about come to fruition as this all kicked off. Um, so it was quite good timing. And I then volunteered to go back to accident and emergency or emergency departments, which is where I had previously worked, um, although about 10 years ago. Um, so I got given uh, my first bank shift. And since I arrived on the bank shift, I was actually told that because there are so many redeployed staff and actually the numbers in the hospital because of the way they've set things up at the moment are much lower they're running at kind of half capacity where i where i work instead of um normally about 85 90 percent capacity because of that the bank shifts have kind of dried up a little bit although i've just been told today that there are going to be some more shifts coming on so i will no doubt be doing some shifts uh, very soon but the way it works in the, the emergency department um, where I went to work, they'd set it up so that there is a, a green part of the department and a red part. I believe down in England, they tend to use blue and, and red, but there's green and red where I am. And it meant that red is likely or suspected possible COVID case and uh, green is unlikely to be COVID and of course you can change at any time if people feel that symptoms have changed and uh, the department was set up very well they had to physically rearrange how the department works um, so that people are coming in one door and different doors for whether they're green or red and ambulances are bringing people into different parts as well it was working pretty well the team were very good and there was plenty of staff there the team have a huddle around the board every day so that they can look and remind people how things are working and also so they can talk about changes um, that have occurred that day or in the last week or so. So it seemed to be working very well. How well it will work if the numbers suddenly or you know gradually increase, it's difficult to know because everyone was wearing their personal protective equipment. And as you've seen on the news, et cetera, it's actually quite uh, difficult to, to work. There's a, quite a lot of quite small but significant differences when you're wearing the PPE. I don't know if you found this as well, Neil, but you might be in a cubicle with a patient and you can't just walk in and out of that cubicle. So if you forget uh, a piece of equipment, um, then you might find that you have to go out, stick your head out the door and ask somebody yeah, you're, de you're definitely having to to overthink everything you're doing all the time, aren't you? As to to what what actual what you actually need, what you might need, um, and and also there's a pressure of of we know that there are shortages in PPE. There is there you know there is there is no question about that. So you're having to then think, okay, I don't want to waste a bit of PPE by having to go and get changed or or, or swap something over. So yeah, definitely, definitely yeah, that. And we really do have to think about it. I was in a cubicle with a patient, and um, I was left with this pen that I'd been using and this pen torch I've been using, and I wanted to take them out of the cubicle. And I was really kind of sitting there thinking, right. I need to wash my hands and go out of the cubicle, but I've got this pen and this pen torch. So if I put them down there and then I'll have to go out and then wash my hands again and then pick them up and then wipe them down. And yeah. um, those kind of things. 
are are proving to be quite difficult. My wife also works in the A&E department and she says just one of the things that's the most difficult is the fact that you need more staff to do each thing because you can't go in and out of doors and you need runners to go and get equipment and things like that. And when yeah. there's redeployed staff, not everyone knows where things are. So that's causing quite a lot of difficulties. How your experience been, Neil? Yeah, and I mean, in some ways, very, very similar. The, as you mentioned, we in, in the unit, so I'm a paediatric nurse, so um, um, as trained as peds, so I was working in the children's um, emergency department. Um, and similar to you, Ewan, they've, 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 they've had to sort of reorganise the whole department. So it's pretty much two departments running as one at the moment with um, a red zone and a blue zone. Um, red being the the ones that are triaged and, and potentially have got a risk of um of, of covid infection and and blue as as the lower risk ones the ones that um uh, are less likely um and for me my biggest concern or anxiety really was was actually going in and and, and as you said about knowing where things are and knowing what the local processes are pediatric nurse for many years but you'd never worked in uh, an emergency department I, one i've never worked in the emergency department although my, my most recent background is working in sort of minor injuries and illnesses um but it's been nearly a decade well a decade or so since i've worked in a hospital so that in itself was probably my biggest anxiety but um it's quite selfishly in some ways when i went on my my trust induction i it was weird this 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 sudden realization that you can communicate with with different people for a period of time and I came home and it was a pretty dry day the first day it was pretty dry as doing all your basic life support training it was doing all your safeguarding training it was a dry day of training but I came back and I, I felt like a new person again having been able to communicate with people and to actually have more than just one person in a room with you at any one time it, it, it uh yeah and quite selfishly it's it was quite a nice thing to do so I, I certainly think we're gonna um appreciate those relationships and people conversations that we have a lot more um, going forward I hope. Our experiences have been you know quite quite good quite lucky at the moment uh, mm. other people might be on here might be listening or might know people who've been working in much much busier more stretched uh, environment and we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, definitely really like to hear because I think one of the one of the things that my feeling is, is that the stuff that the NHS is doing amazing um, but often when people think of the NHS they think of the emergency departments they think of intensive care but actually it's the much wider picture of that it's a wide across the hospitals it's the community services that um, are in the NHS but also the care services um, those are the things that actually people, probably people are under much higher higher demand um, right now whereas probably the areas that we went into although we went in with a, a mindset of trying to be able to to offer our help actually it turns out that that's the area where it's probably the least demand and i can see from some of the comments that are coming up that people have had similar ones so um for my last induction well i'll come to you in a second you because yours was very much uh, straight on the job wasn't it um for my one so normally the trust would do a five-day induction they condensed it into a two-day induction we were socially distanced to a certain element. So certainly if we were in a lecture hall, we were that um, in that sort of situation. But there was practical elements to it. So we had to do things like our manual handling training, our basic life support training, which it's it's impossible to do that in, in the social distancing. So um, they did condense it. So we did have to do some elements which were close together, but we were PPE'd up for, for those exercises as well. 
the thing that probably has affected me the most actually about everything is the the resuscitation elements of of going into hospital at the moment and how that is being managed in hospital and i know we i know we've got it down we we are going to talk about it a little bit later on so we will come back to that but uh, um it was pretty tough. Um, the, the trust have been very good and offered supernumerary shifts. So I wasn't just thrown out there into an emergency department, um, which was probably my biggest anxiety, but um, that didn't um, happen. So I was given supernumerary as well. So they're doing everything they can. And what I would say is everybody has been so, so supportive. I've just been very open. You know, I'm, I'm out of practice. I'm a bit rusty on some elements and they've all been very good. I'm what about you then, Ewan? What was your training experience induction like? Well, I'd been through um, about nine months of uh, joining the nurse bank process anyway. I'd been trying to join in order to do last year's flu programme and uh, finally got on uh, for, for COVID. But yeah, so I'd been through training either online or face-to-face -face training um, rather than having a specific induction week or day or anything like that I'd been to the, the various training that I needed to get on incidentally I, I'm not sure how, exactly how things are working now but from the emails I've seen it sounds like and I don't know what this like in other trusts but maybe people are getting fast-tracked and I think they're kind of being told you know here's the online training that you need to do go ahead and do it but we are going to be getting you on and ready to go quite quickly so it seems so I don't know if anyone else has got the same uh, experiences you know whether I don't want to say corners are being cut but I think people are suddenly able to make things happen quicker than they they would have been in, in normal circumstances. Yeah and it's interesting actually I think that you look at you look at the guidance changes that are happening daily and, and the procedure changes that are happening daily you think actually I hope that at the other side of this that actually that clunkiness that the NHS is we, we anyone that's worked in the NHS knows the clunkiness the speed that things move you just hope that actually they can take something from this that actually we can move things quicker we can change procedures change things where they need to be changed quicker and be a lot more responsive and, and reactive to things as a result so who knows hopefully they'll you know i think we'll it, it's a tough time for everybody right now and it's challenging but hopefully there'll be a lot to learn there'll be a lot of innovation i think that comes out of of, of this period that that hopefully will be for the better yeah Neil, that brings us on quite nicely to perhaps talking about some of the, because obviously people are talking about how the world's going to change maybe forever, never go back, and mm. uh, certainly things and services which people have talked about, uh, you know, in universities, it's taken many, many years to try and get one course done online and now suddenly entire universities are running things online. So um, we've been having a look recently, haven't we, about online courses and doing things online rather than face-to-face -face in terms of training do you want to take us through some of that neil yeah we can do we'll come let's yeah let's have a break break from covid and let's come back to it in a bit shall we let's let's have a little bit of a different focus for a bit we will come back to covid because i think it is a big subject at the moment so we will come back do some country profiles um, of how some other countries have been dealing with covid but we'll come back to that because i think that it sort of led on nicely the discussions about training so um obviously health academy is a training company and we're here to talk about that as well um and one of the actual the elements of the that that um with my trust induction was i was thrown 
a whole list of e-learning. Now, I'm not going to mention the trust, but the actual training, you know, it's very, very dry and very, very boring. So we've been really trying to develop some innovative approaches to online training um, that not only includes your information, it includes different approaches to learning. So we've, we've, we've really focused on developing some really high quality animations and videos, but also looking at how we can incorporate the practical clinical skills that you need and how can we assess those practical clinical skills. So we've been really looking at different ways of doing that. So both you and I have literally these past sort of couple of months been really honing in on um, flu, to be honest, is our big one at the moment, isn't it, Ewan? That's right. Um, we're, we're, we'll, we'll have our, our COVID immunization training course ready when the, the vaccine's ready, of course. But uh, yeah. I mean, the, the next uh, few months, uh, flu services are still going to be required. Because um, just to mention, like the, the Department of Health have, and the JCVI have put out statements of how important it is to maintain immunization services to reduce the serious risk of vaccine preventable mm. diseases whilst this is all going on because one of the things we know like for example happened during the ebola outbreak which is still going on by the way is the fact that other significant diseases have increased rates of mortality and morbidity when the focus is uh, so much on the outbreak uh, disease uh, yeah. and that's something that uh, health departments in the who are very aware of and want to kind of remind countries and countries want to remind uh, people running services that it's essential to try and keep those things going so in fact flu training and being able to train people to do flu vaccination without having to go and take the risks of uh, being too close to people is one of the things we've been looking at so um, do you want to take us uh, onto the course Neil and if you share the screen yeah so we'll show you a little bit of what we've been up to um, so this is um, our website. If you've not been onto it, um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take you to one little animation sort of thing as part of one of the courses that we that we have. So let's go to our seasonal influenza. We have partnered with a fantastic organisation that are based um, in Scotland as well, um, who have been developing our animations for us. So let me just show you quickly part of one of our uh, initial animations. Flu has been documented far back as 412 BC. Let's take a journey through the history of flu. Hippocrates, the Greek physician and founding father of medicine, in 412 BC identified a respiratory illness that occurred every year in Corinthus, and so named it the fever of Corinthus. By the 1450s, this disease had appeared to make it to the New World. The text from the Aztecs talked of a pestilential catarrh meaning a mucus infection of the airway. It wasn't until the 1580s that the first documented pandemic occurred. Originating in Asia and Russia, it subsequently spread to Europe, Northwest Africa, and the Americas. Around the same time, the Italian phrase, influenza del freddo, influence of the cold, was coined, which would later be shortened to the disease we now know as influenza. Further influenza pandemics were documented over the next four centuries, mainly originating in China and Russia. Type. Influenza is caused by the influenza virus. There are three types of virus that affect humans, A, B and C. Type C infections generally cause mild illness and are not thought to cause human flu epidemics. Types A and B viruses cause seasonal epidemics of disease. Influenza A viruses are the only influenza viruses known to cause global flu pandemics. Symptoms. 
The severity of influenza can range from mild to very severe symptoms with life-threatening complications and even death. Common symptoms of influenza include fever, body aches, headache, fatigue, cough, runny nose, sore throat, vomiting and diarrhoea can also be present, though this is more common in children than in adults. So yeah, so that's just a bit of a, a touch on uh, the stuff that we're we're, we're sort of working quite heavily on at the moment um, and hopefully we'll have that full course live pretty soon and we've got a lot of other stuff that we are working on particularly around um, travel as well. I find it's very it's almost like you're kind of in a parallel universe when you're trying to write a training course on an influenza pandemic while there's a Covid pandemic going on. Um, it's uh, whenever you go on um, you want to use a stock image or something like that it's just flooded at the moment with covid images of people doing healthcare with masks on and things like that so it's um it's a very it's a very strange thing to be doing yeah definitely um so you and we both obviously met through master we were both nurses for master in different capacities and our passion was around travel health really um but yeah so, so we just thought it would be quite interesting to look at how some of um, some other countries have been their approach to to the the, the covid issues i'm going to look at one country ewan's going to look at another country i'm going to be talking about the approach that mauritius has taken and you're probably thinking why mauritius um so mauritius is close to my heart. Um, um, my dad is from Mauritius, so I have got a significant link to there. About just over a week, a couple of weeks ago, my parents were supposed to be going to Mauritius for a couple of months to, to spend over there. Um, instead, she is currently continuing to be a practice nurse, doing a lot of telephone triaging, continues to be doing Baby IMS is, is quite a big big one, which is that is still the face to face stuff that she's doing. But yeah, back to Mauritius. Then, so how did Mauritius? How's Mauritius coping? So, Mauritius, if you don't know, small island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It is technically part of Africa, but I always I always find it quite weird to think of Mauritius as part of Africa because anyone that's been will know that the sort of population is a um, majority uh, of Indian heritage so it, it hasn't got a sort of an African feel to it so much it's got more of an Indian feel to it um, so there's about 1.4 million people in um, Mauritius Interestingly, only 10% of the population of Mauritius are over 65 years of age. Um, it is deemed as the richest um, nation in Africa per capita and um, it's got a particularly low jobless rate um, and its its infrastructure is very very well developed compared to a lot of other African countries. So they had their first official case um, notified on the 18th of March so pretty recently in comparative to us they were very very quick to respond so they had their first case on the 18th of March on the 19th of March they went into virtual shutdown okay pretty much what we're doing here in the uk right now they went into lockdown and then a week later they had a second phase where they went into pretty much military shutdown so they they shut down everything including all of the shops even were shut so supermarkets everything were closed it has started to reopen now though as a country has started to reopen and interestingly the way that supermarkets are working over there now is you are given you are allocated a day of the week where you're allowed to go to the supermarket based on your, your name in the alphabet. 
So you have to be well prepared for that. So they've up to now they've had 331 cases and they've had nine deaths, which equates to a 0.6, I think, um, um, mortality rate. In the past 10 days, they've had only one new case um, notified. So they are doing very, very well. Uh, obviously, they're a, an island nation. They stopped flights into the country. The only flights allowed out of the country were for, for foreigners that were, were leaving. And so they, they pretty much shut their borders very, very, very quickly. And as a result, obviously, with the population so small, it's much easier to contain and, and manage that sort of situation. Controversially, they did have a massive import from India of hydroxychloroquine. Now, I, I've tried to look into it to see if it is a standard practice over there that they've been using it to treat COVID or not. But anyone that's not so au fait with hydroxychloroquine, that was the um, drug that good old President Trump in the United States started to make controversial claims over. Um, I've done a little bit of semi research on it before we came on today and it's very very there's there's quite a lot of studies actually going on about on, on into it uh, around the world but the one of the biggest messages that are coming out of all the studies is the dangers that people are forgetting about with that drug so the, the drug itself when it's not used correctly has can have quite severe impacts on heart rhythm particularly when it's used with other drugs as well so things when it's when it's combined with things like azithromycin and there's very much mixed evidence um, a lot of it not peer-reviewed like the studies that are out there they're just not peer-reviewed so we can't really put any weight on on what they are at the moment i don't know if there's anyone in 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 the group today that um, might have, have have read any more Michelle is always somebody who always has a I think Michelle's what is watching um Michelle Sellers if, if you're watching and if you've got any information on that she was you're always the person that I would always look to for any um feeling on that no pressure Michelle yeah so yeah I expect you to be uh tapping away trying to find something now uh Ewan what's your thoughts on it have you have you heard much about it at all just uh listen to um Inside Health podcast it's where I get most of my information from <laughs> Margaret McCartney there, who's based in um, in Glasgow, I think, she was just saying that either weak or or no evidence, and the fact is that there are many drugs that require trials to start and are starting at the moment, and that is one of the ones where there are trials starting so that people can find out the effects of these drugs. She was mentioning how incredible it is, how quickly we can get randomized control trials started. And uh, it's great to know that these are happening. And ultimately, once the evidence is there, then we'll be able to say whether people should be using these drugs and suggest using them. It's it's crazy, isn't it, that... that there's people with so much influence in the world um, and it's not just I mean I've talked about President Trump but in Madagascar they're um, releasing this juice and they're issuing this juice out to everybody as a, as a treatment as well and, and it, with, with no evidence whatsoever on it it's, it's and that's coming from that presidential level. Um, okay so let's move on to your country then Ewan um, and let's see if people can work out which country that one is. So I've picked Ecuador. Um, I'm a big fan of South America in general. I actually met my wife out there in neighbouring Bolivia. So I thought I'd pick South America. Ecuador seems to be being dubbed the kind of epicentre of the, the outbreak in Latin America. The virus arrived there in, in 29th of February. 
But one of the interesting things that made the news is the fact that, particularly in Guayaquil and possibly other parts of Ecuador, the authorities have not been able to cope with the number of dead bodies. And in fact, dead bodies have been left in the streets and left in people's houses. There's a significant smell. People are having to queue up at uh, cemeteries to try and bury their families. Um, and the government have, in fact, issued cardboard boxes for people to bury their family members in, like banana boxes as a kind of emergency procedure. The number of official cases is only something like, well, I say only, obviously each death is an absolute tragedy, but they're talking about 11,000 confirmed cases, uh, just over 1,000 recovered and about five to 600 deaths. But it is believed that the that's the tip of the iceberg and it's possibly three or more times uh, more than that in reality because they're not testing, of course, they're not confirmed but yeah that's really just to say like Africa it's going to be a bit sad to kind of watch and wait to see how developing world countries cope with the epidemic when it hits them hard you look at parts of Africa that are already dealing with significant issues for example with uh, malaria and you've got Ebola going on and uh, South America again is one of these places where a lot of people live below the poverty line and forgetting about the disease itself just the effects of the lockdown on the the economic and global recession that's going to happen which is apparently going to be bigger than anything else we've we've known tragically is going to bring along with it a lot of suffering and a lot of poverty and a lot of starvation and uh, i think south america is going to be one of the places where that um is affected the most yeah and i think you you, you yeah you talked there briefly and, and you touched on some of the issues that are going on and the the plan was that who was going to declare the ebola outbreak um in the democratic republic of congo over um and sadly this week has seen a further three cases i believe um that that have occurred from that ebola and and that's the one of the big concerns that the who has got um and we should have is that you know because so much focus is is on is on covid not only is the potential infrastructure healthcare infrastructure changing in a lot of these countries but also um the impetus um and the interactions um, um of those healthcare providers on the ground um is going to have to be changed and and it means that a lot of the the things may be overlooked uh, i know this week um the WHO came out with a, a thing, um, a report about sub-Saharan Africa, particularly malaria, um, and they're concerned around the infrastructure to a lot of the programs um, that have been being developed over years, and things like just the, the the amount of nets that are being provided has significantly started to potentially reduce, which would ultimately impact that. And, and particularly for a disease like malaria, we've made such good inroads over. You know, it was one of the few of the Millennium Development Goals that were set back in two thousand that was that was really achieved by by the 2015 point and we really don't want to go backwards on 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 what what has been achieved um over that period of time shall we come back to the uk come back to talk a little bit about the uh ppe situation neil yes let's so what was your experience of ppe ewan so it seemed that uh, where i was working they had the equipment as it was deemed necessary so they had the the correct equipment according to that you know certainly one of the the controversies that's kind of out there at the moment where there's a bit of um disagreement seems to be that uh when you look at the definitions of for example enhanced ppe 
So that's the FFP masks when there are aerosol generating procedures, usually yeah. in a presentation room, that kind of thing. Um, but of course, Public Health England and Gov.uk website states that chest compressions and defibrillation as part of resuscitation are not considered aerosol generating procedures. So first responders in any setting can commence chest compressions and defibrillation without the need for more enhanced PPE while awaiting the arrival of clinicians to undertake airway manoeuvres. However, in hospitals, and I, d I think this is probably the same as where you are, Neil, you would be using the enhanced PPE if you were going to be doing chest compressions. Yeah, and I think I sort of semi-alluded to it at the start when I did my induction training. One of the things that um, it's it was quite quite depressing, really, was in an event of a uh, resus being required, um, we would need to be um, in level three PPE to um, commence any type of resus other than putting the defibrillator onto the casualty and shocking them. Um, so ultimately, if we were not in level three, which is the enhanced um, level of PPE, we would not be expected um, to, well, we shouldn't be, we're guided not to, um, to resuscitate that patient other than putting a defibrillator on, shocking them three times and then leaving the room. Now, I don't know where, in, in, our, in, in where I'm working, the only people that are in level three PPE at all times, i.e. the people that could just jump in straight away and do resus would be the ones that are in ICU or in COVID specific wards. So ultimately in environments where you, you might be in sort of level two PPE, so um, your sort of your, your goggles, your surgical masks, your gloves, your apron, that wouldn't be enough um, to commence any level of CPR other than shocking them. Um, and unfortunately, in those environments, you wouldn't necessarily have anybody on your unit in level three um, ready to, to jump in. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a mixture, isn't there? And what's going out on out in the community and the guidance out in the community and what's necessarily going on in hospital. Um, so it, it's, it's certainly an interesting one. Undoubtedly, where I work, there is a there is definitely a supply issue with the PPE that is there because decisions are having to be taken over who should be put into what level of PPE um, in the event of any situation. And so um, I personally was have never been put so far into a situation where I've not had the corrects that I needed to use. But certainly there are examples where decisions were having to be made around what a PPE should be used at different times and it's interesting I've got friends and colleagues that work in different trusts to where I work which are literally five minutes up the road to where I am and they have a different experience to the trust that I'm working in where they are have had real problems um, working directly with COVID patients and not having the, the, the right access so it's really interesting that that in even in really small small space of, uh, of of geographical area there are different situations going on and Car Carrie's just made a really good point um, so no level of three, three, level three PPE currently being used in the community without confirmed COVID testing, at least in the area. Yeah, I mean, like Carrie says, she's, she's in a situation where they're, they're very low rates, but actually, you know, the, I think there's, there's an element that we are really forgetting about the community settings um, quite considerably. Um, i like, really like to hear from some um, practice nurses out there in regards to um, what access 
they have in your environment so if you've got if you're working in a general practice um be interested to know what what access you've got and um because i think that inevitably um people will be turning up to your gp surgeries i'm sure that um would fit the covid criteria and going back to a bit of travel stuff uh do you want to put up yvonne's uh, little comment about africa oh, yeah. so referring back to africa first death in swaziland reported this week Three weeks ago, uh, the one hospital locked its doors as too many people were demanding tests. There's a lot of speculation that the King's health has not been great because it's not been seen for the past month. It's normally very visible. So it's interesting stuff. So we've had some comments coming up around different community um, environments. So Shirley talked about in Harrogate, there's got no issues with PPE. Um, Wendy said, "You've got a friend that works in care homes. They've got they've had to share PPE. That's that's a, a worrying story, isn't it? That where you've got people having to share it." Michelle, you've talked about the, the care homes, and they've got access to it now. But a few couple of weeks ago, um, many didn't have face masks. Carrie, so Carrie in Warminster, the GP clinic sites. That's a, an interesting one. So they've split into to hot and cold, which m- mimics the sort of the world, the A and E structure, the, the emergency department structure by the looks of it. All the hot patients are seen in level three PPE at the hot site. And that's interesting because in the emergency department, if they are the hot side, I don't know about you, Ewan, but we aren't in level three. We're in level two, which is sort of surgical masks, aprons, and gloves. We're not in level three at that point. Um, what was your experience of that, Ewan? Yeah, that's right. Level two um, going in, whether they were green or red patients, you were in with your level two, including the visors. Which is interesting, actually, the visors thing, because that that's that was definitely one of the areas where we've got shortages. We would, we didn't have enough access to, to visors. Um, so there, my mum's on. She's saying, um, so you've got you've got good access to PPE and surgeries. Um, all patients are triaged for appointment, only seeing baby backs and emergency blood ECGs. Okay, so it sounds like the um, good precautions are going on there. Yvonne's working in East Kent's consistently reported lack of appropriate PPE in hospitals and ambulance service. This is the thing, it's a very mixed story, isn't it? So some places seem to have good access and others just have different story by the looks of it. Alice asks a really interesting question. Has anyone been offered any sort of COVID testing as NHS staff yet? So the news today was around the fact that key workers are, will be able to access the testing now my understanding of it is and please correct me anyone if i am wrong is that anyone who has symptoms or members of their their family they live with have symptoms they can access the covid testing um, by going online has anyone used that at all or anyone got an experience of it it's pretty new yvonne and carrie have just said about the site has crashed i haven't seen that in the news yet and I think we can all agree with Amy's comment about effective antibody testing. That's going to be the key thing. So there, I, I self-isolated early on. I didn't have any symptoms and anywhere near much as, as other people had a very mild illness. But the difficulty is I didn't know whether it was or whether it was just virus of other type. Unfortunately, that took me out of action for that period of time. Michelle's comment is really interesting. So um, they're involved in testing the healthcare workers in Sheffield. Um, and only 18% of um, symptomatic staff were tested for positive, which is quite a positive thing, I guess. Um, it means that um, people can get back to work a lot quicker and able to stop yourself isolating. Well, I think yeah. we probably consider uh, wrapping things up. Thank you for all the very kind comments. Do you want us to do this again? Uh, and if so, do we have volunteers to come and join us who can, can talk to us as well? I think we shall um, wrap it up. We will see you all again soon.
Thank Bye. you. Take it easy, Neil. You have control. Yeah. Goodbye. See you later, everybody. Bye now.